Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. God said, and it was done now. Take heart. I have overcome the world. God spoke, and then it was finished. His plan was fulfilled. The head of the serpent was crushed for good, for you. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is His love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Father, we just take this moment to totally focus everything on you. What we're about to do, what we have been doing, and how this whole weekend goes, Father, is to show everybody you're the hero of heaven. You're the champion of the universe, and you're worthy of all affection and praise right now, Lord. Jesus, you said if you were lifted up, you draw all people unto you. So today, Father, we lift you up above everything else, Lord. You're all. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Go ahead and you can be seated. Glad that you're here today. Happy Easter, everyone, and welcome. Um, uh, Before I jump into the message, I was thinking in preparation for this, sort of a quick snapshot of Jubilee past and Jubilee future. Our very first Easter as a church was 99. We planted the church in uh, summer of 98, but then the first go-around for Easter was in 99. So what, what can a small church who's meeting in an elementary school who consists, uh, you know, a third of the church is our family, to be honest with you, right? How does that church have any impact in the community? How do you let people know you're there? We want to preach Christ and we want to expose people to what we believe is the greatest news ever. And we think that the message is relevant and it's powerful and people can just hear it. How, how can we get them there? So the staff got together and we thought, okay, let's do the biggest Easter egg hunt Highlands Ranch has ever seen. No, it's, it's, no, it's not a good representation of Jesus, but it's how a lot of people relate to, to Easter. And if we can get them there that way, then we'll preach the message of Jesus. So we order 5,000 Easter eggs. <laughs> 5,000. And it was those little plastic ones that we stayed up, I mean, late, late into the night, getting them filled with candy. Some had money. We had done an outstanding job. Advertised for it. All set. We're excited. We're ready. I think our average attendance then was about 75 people. And we're thinking, man, we're going to double. We'll have 150. And it snowed 11 inches Saturday night. 11 inches. (laughs) 
And I, I got up real early that morning. It was probably five. And I looked outside. It was still snowing. And it was so cold. And I thought, Lord, not only are we not going to have people new, but our regular people are going to have trouble getting there this morning. So sure enough, church starts right. And there's maybe about 35 people there in total. And 15 were children. So get one step ahead of me and think what happened. 15 children split. 5,000 Easter eggs. We had Easter eggs at our house all the way until Christmas. Candy, it was, yes, it was one of the first great disappointments of, <laughs> of ministry. And then uh, moving forward, and this is a bittersweet thing. It's, it's exciting, and yet at the same time, uh, it's a realization. Um, this will be the last Easter that we celebrate together in this building right here. And it's bittersweet because our next one will be in our new facility. And my goodness, I wonder what the Lord will do next year uh, at this time. God willing, it may be maybe the largest, greatest, uh, maybe more people will hear the gospel next year at this time through our church than ever before. And I look forward to that. And at the same time, this has been our home since 2005. And the way that we've said it, it's a home that's defined us and in recent years, confined us, but we sure, we praise God for this facility and the church that bought it, Thrive Church. We believe that Thrive Church will see their best days ahead of them too, so that the gospel, it, it won't cease to be preached after 2021. We believe that its best days for this building will happen going forward too with Thrive Church. So what a, what a wonderful place to be at and to celebrate this morning. Okay, here's, here's what I want to do. And just, uh, I'll lay all my cards on the table so you can kind of see where I'm going. I, I believe what I said when I was praying. I believe that Jesus is the hero of heaven. He's the champion of the universe. He's the one that everything I do, all that I live for, the whole reason for standing up here is because I love Love Jesus and believe in him. And I'm not ashamed of that, man. Everybody has heroes. Some people pick sports people. By the way, if you were watching NCAA last night, what a game, huh? What, what a, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, Lord needs to help you because you missed something that was truly fantastic. Uh, it, uh, just some people pick uh, movie stars. Some people pick singers. Some people pick uh, heroes from the past. Certainly many, many things to admire about different people uh, in our world. But I would just say to you, above all of those things, I place Jesus. Jesus is the one to me that is worthy of everything. So that what I want to do today is dote on Jesus. And when we get done with this message, if you go, man, it seemed like Pastor John, all he did was talk about Jesus. Yes, that's what I did on Easter. Talked about Jesus. And if I do it well, you'll think maybe, maybe Pastor John has a, a, you know, a real affection for the Lord. I hope that's how you feel when I leave here. But even more than that, I hope that I can cause you to have a greater affection, appreciation, and understanding for how wonderful our Jesus is. That's really what I want. I want the pretense of religion. I want the misunderstanding of, of even church. I, I want all the questions that maybe uh, aren't answered in your life. I want them all to sort of fall away. And I just want you to be able to see Jesus today. Because if you can see Jesus, it really is the answer to why we're here, why we do what we do, and what the future can look like. So here's where I'm going to go today. Jesus, once he was nailed to the cross, uh, it's called the seven sayings of Christ. There were seven things Jesus said when he was on the cross. And I'm going to go through each one of those things and kind of point it to how marvelous 
Christ is. I want to use his words to point out why I, why I esteem him as my hero and why I esteem him as worthy of worship above everything else. Um, let me break this down for you real quickly. I'll read the seven to you, and then I'll go back and comment on each one, uh, and we'll move along to the end of the message. So uh, the seven sayings of Jesus once he was nailed to the cross, believe it or not, even if you don't attend church, I bet you know some of the sayings. For instance, uh, the very first thing that Jesus said uh, upon being nailed to the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not. Isn't that amazing? That even if we're not around it, the, the familiar and the famous of what Jesus said, people know it. The second thing that he said was to one of the two thieves who were crucified with him, today you'll be with me in paradise. The next one he spoke to his mother who was standing with John the disciple at the foot of the cross. Woman, behold your son, talking about uh, John becoming uh, Mary's son. And then the next thing that Jesus said was, my God, my God, why have you isn't that funny that we know those things? Uh, the fifth one, I think it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And also it speaks to, uh, you know, Jesus is all God, but he's also all man. And it's the, the mystery of divinity. The fact that he is all God and yet he was all man. And the man part of Christ spoke out at the end, towards the end of the, the, uh, the time on the cross and said, I thirst. And then the next thing uh, in rapid succession, uh, he said, it is finished. Tetelestai, Katie, if you were here last week or watched it, Katie taught about that and did an excellent job. And then the very final words of Christ before he expired uh, and, and um, uh, it, it, the work of the cross was done, Jesus said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, real quickly, of these seven sayings, uh, I saw something this week that I thought was really interesting. Don't know if you've ever considered this. Don't know if you've even thought about this much, but let me, let me put into context. Uh, first, I believe this is the order According to the four gospels, each gospel records the death of Jesus. They don't all record all of the words of Jesus, right? Uh, so I believe this is the order of how Christ spoke these things. Christ was on the cross for about six hours, piecing together little pieces of information and hints that we have in the four gospels. He was crucified, nailed to the cross at about nine o'clock in the morning. And he gave up his spirit, the ghost, at three o'clock in the afternoon. So the math there obviously is six hours. Uh, did Jesus say each one of these once an hour? No, that's not how this came down. He said the first three within the first hour of being on the cross. And I'll prove to you why I believe that to be true. Then the Bible says at about noon, great darkness came upon the face of the earth. It was pitch black at noon. It was a, a horrible earthquake. It was though God himself was shaking the earth for what was happening to Jesus. And, and honestly, not one word was said during that time by Jesus. And I, I believe this is when God the Father is pouring, not only making Jesus become our sin, but pouring out his wrath on that sin. Jesus is doing the heavy listing between uh, about 10 o'clock and about uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. And then right after two, the sun shines again. And then in rapid succession, I believe Jesus said the four last sayings of the cross. And I'll show you why I think that. But let's begin with the first one. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's Luke 23, uh, 34. Then Jesus said, it's actually a prayer. And most scholars believe he prays the prayer while they begin 
to nail the nails into his hand. And I think that's important for this reason, that Jesus at this point is not beginning to suffer. This is the culmination of all the suffering. This has started approximately 18 to 20 hours before this moment. They arrested him the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as soon as he's arrested, they begin to abuse him. They begin to hit him and to push him and to mock him. When they bring him in front of the high priest, they begin to slap him. Uh, eventually, as he's in front of Pilate, and the Roman soldiers take over. They, they literally grab his beard and pull it out with their hands. To mock him, they put a blindfold around him and take a, a stick and they'll hit him from different sides, mocking him, saying, uh, if you are Christ, if you're a great prophet, prophesy to us who hit you while he's blindfolded. They spit in his face. Uh, they, they, they whipped him and they beat him without mercy. And if you've ever watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ, real quick, anybody ever? So uh, I, this is Chris and I, our, our uh, um, I, I, you know, just, just what we do the week before Easter is to watch that movie. Now, I know a lot of people are like, it is just so bloody and so violent. Agreed. And I don't think it comes close to what Jesus actually went through. I think we need to understand that. And a lot of people think it's gratuitous. So the point is that that blood was necessary all the way from the Old Testament. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Every animal that was ever sacrificed in the Old Testament was a picture of the innocent taking the place of the guilty. And ultimately, that's what Jesus did. When John the Baptist saw him for the first time coming to be baptized, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was necessary. The whole reason that Jesus came to the earth was to die so that you and I don't have to. Two people were excited about that. The rest of you might be like, he's on today. Hold, you haven't seen anything yet. So it's while Jesus is in this position. Here, here's my point. Um, a medical doctor, I read this a couple of years ago, a medical doctor looking at if the story is accurate and if the story is true, and I believe that it is, a medical doctor said that after the flogging and the cat of nine tails, by the time Jesus makes it to Calvary, to Golgotha, and they begin to nail him, he's lost so much blood that even if they could stop the process right then, it's already too late for him to come back from that point. He's at the point of no return by the time he gets to the cross. That's how much blood he's lost. And so my, my point, the only reason I even spend any time setting this up, Jesus doesn't begin to suffer at the cross. He's already been suffering by the time he gets to the cross. Do you see that? And at that point, they begin to nail the nails into his hands. And most scholars agree that when he prays the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's praying it as soon as they begin to nail the nails. I just want to ask you this question. When you're suffering, just, just think about this for a moment. Can you think about anybody else or do you only think about yourself? Yeah. So the only reason I point that out, this Jesus of ours, this one that I hold up and that I esteem and that I worship, this is not a weak man. To get a picture of some milquetoast Christ, is a, is a, it's a wrong picture. This is a strong man who's voluntarily laying down his life so that you and I don't have to go through this. That's how much he loved you. So while Jesus is going through this, he begins to pray that prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I, I just, when I, when I think about his ability to overcome his own pain and his own lack, knowing that it's at the point of no return, Jesus is still thinking about other people. 
so that when you think in any way, shape, or form that he's against you or that he doesn't love you or that he doesn't care about your situation, I would argue that the proof that God loves you is the fact that while he's suffering, he's thinking about you. Who do you think his prayer was for? Was it for a Roman soldier? Was it for Pilate? Was it for the high priest? Or was it for all mankind? Father, forgive them. Look at me. It wasn't Pilate alone that put him on a cross. It was you, and it was you, and it was you, and it was me. We put Jesus on a cross. So when he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's praying for all of us, guys. Receive that as Christ's great love for us. It's powerful. Maybe the greatest gift that we can give each other is to be willing to forgive like Jesus forgave. God the Father said, you can't come to heaven unless you're willing to forgive your brother. And then people will say, Pastor, easy for you to stand up there and say that. But if you had experienced what I've experienced at the hand of another person, it wouldn't be so easy for you to forgive. I'll give you that. I don't know what you went through. But the great comparison is not what I've suffered. It's what Jesus has suffered. And his example was at the hands of people who treated him wrong. And he really is the only innocent one. He was willing to forgive, yes or no. Maybe we're most like our father when we do what our father does. We forgive. It's powerful. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second statement uh, to set this up, this is from Luke 23, 43. Let me read it. And Jesus said to him, the him is one of the two thieves who were crucified at the exact same time Jesus was crucified. So a lot of pictures of Christ being crucified is just a singular cross. But in truth, we know for a fact that there were two other people that day who were crucified. They were thieves. And apparently, um, these were guys who, I, I, you know, like the three strike rule, except three strikes for them really was you're out, right? So these guys were condemned thieves. And what they had done must have been either it was habitual or it was so bad that they received the death penalty. And so while Jesus is carrying his cross up to Calvary, these two thieves who are also condemned to death, are carrying their crosses too. And the Bible says that these two men, when they see Jesus for the very first time, begin to revile him. They're cursing him and they're mocking him. One of them even says to him, if you really are Christ, come down off that cross and at least save yourself. Can you imagine? They're cursing him. And as the two of them are watching Jesus, uh, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis said this, if you want to know what's in a person's heart, pierce the person. Because what's inside will come out when they're under pressure. When I was a young pastor, I had an older pastor tell me, if you want to know the motivation of someone's heart, tell them no. And I thought, tell them no? What will that do? Oh my goodness. Want to find out? Tell somebody no and see what happens. But take it to the nth degree. To tell somebody no is to pierce them in a light way. But to literally pierce somebody you'll find out what's in a person's heart quickly, yes or no. The two thieves, when they were pierced, began to curse because that's what was inside of them. Remember Jesus said this, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But our Jesus, not only what he said, maybe it's what he didn't say that reveals to us how awesome our Jesus was. Jesus prays for people and offers forgiveness when he's pierced, but maybe it was the fact that he didn't curse, that he didn't complain, that he didn't say, I, forget it. 
When he stood before Pilate and Pilate said, you better answer me because I have the power of life and death over you. And Jesus said to Pilate, nobody has the power of life and death over me. What I do, I do voluntarily. And if I were to call right now, legions of angels would be at my side and wipe all of this out in an instant. Just the proof that Jesus is fully under control when he does this. And when Jesus is pierced, look, you pierce a person, you put a person under any kind of duress and you'll find out what's inside the person, yes or no. Some of us can't even drive without finding out what's inside of us. (laughs) True? Take it to the nth degree. And I use a little bit of humor there, but man, just picture for a sudden. You'll find out, look, there's no pretense when you pierce somebody. There's no pretense when someone's hanging on a cross. Either it was real or it wasn't real. Yes or no? And suddenly we find out that everything that he said, you know, Jesus said, I don't say anything and I don't do anything unless I've heard the father say it and seen the father do it. So that means you wanna know what's in God's heart while Jesus is being pierced. Mercy and forgiveness is in God's heart. I can say with great confidence today, you haven't and cannot and will not do anything that God is not willing to say I nailed it to the cross. So this man who asked Jesus, one of the two thieves, they're both beginning initially to curse him and then one of them watches what's coming out of Jesus' mouth, watches how Jesus is suffering, watches how Jesus is embracing this moment rather than being terrified and giving up in this moment. He watches Jesus and he begins to understand this is an innocent man. And so his buddy, who's still cursing Jesus and still calling him all sorts of names, that thief looks at his friend and says, stop, you and I, we've done wrong. And we've been judged guilty and we deserve to be here. But this is an innocent man who should not be here. Stop this. And then that guy looked at Jesus and said, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom today. And that's when Jesus looked at him and said, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Here, what is this right here? Let me just give you a picture. I think it's a picture of all humanity and the way that all humanity responds to what Jesus has done for them on the cross. Some people look at Christ on the cross and they curse it and they revile it and they reject him out of hand and they say, no way could I serve something like that. And then other people who view the exact same set of circumstances see what it really is and why it was done. And they cry out for God's mercy. And by the way, God's answer when you ask for mercy every time is you can have mercy. Look at me. No person in this room is too far from God's mercy. No person in this room is too distant, too hard, (laughs) too wrong, too separate. It's the great picture of all humanity. We all behold Christ on the cross and we all make a decision. You'll dismiss it, reject it, curse it, or you'll look at it for what it really is and see that it was done for you and say to God, I need your mercy. And by the way, think of this. In a way, this is a deathbed, um, not not a confessional, but a, a deathbed conversion. How about that? And what I love about this is that many people think to deathbed conversions, can you come at the last minute to Jesus and does it really matter? Well, this guy never had a chance to get off the cross and make a good name for himself, did he? It was only in that moment. He had moments to live 
and ask God for his mercy. And what did Jesus do? Jesus gave him mercy, which is why I would say to you, no matter where you are, if in your heart you will ask God for his mercy, you will receive mercy today. You'll receive mercy. A deal too good to be true. And yet, it's not me who offers the deal. I can only point to what our Jesus did. So what, what is that? <laughs> it's supernatural love. Love that can only be known by experience. So today you'll be with me in paradise. The third one was Jesus' mother, Mary, his disciple, John, and there was another Mary who happened to be there at that time. And Jesus looked down from the cross and saw his mother. Now, most of us, even when you're adults, if you still have your mom, you want your mom to comfort you. You bunch of chicken men right now. Who, I'm going to say it one more time. If you can get comfort from your mom, you'd take it. Yes or no? We want our mom to comfort us. But in this case, Jesus, who probably rightfully more than any other person could want comfort, doesn't think I need comfort from her. He thinks I need to take care of my mom. So any mom in this room, real quick, and I don't mean to do this to like, if you're not a mom, you know, it, it's, it's, I just want to tap into something. Roberta, just picture with me, answer the question. If you could get to this point, watching one of your children in a position of crucifixion, right? You know, there's, this is it. If you could get to that point, could you stand there for six hours and watch that take place? I don't think, could any mother do that? Amy, could you do that? I, this, it's impo do you agree with me? You could not do it, right? Okay, so the only reason I point this out, I'm going to tell you why I think the first three things happened within an hour. I think that in the first hour, Mary, now look, Mary knew who Jesus was more than anybody else because the angel Gabriel came to her and said, the Holy Spirit is going to impregnate you. You're going to have the Messiah, the Immaculate Conception. And it was prophesied to Mary before Jesus was born. These were the words. When he becomes an adult, it's going to pierce your heart with a sword because of what your son is going to have to go through. So she knew. And this is that day when it pierces her heart with a sword. And here's what I want you to think. In that first hour, she's watched her son go through this mock trial, been totally abused, nailed to a cross, and now she's standing there. And I think Jesus looked down from the cross and instead of demanding, I need help and I need mercy and I need care, he recognized that his mother, Cindy, his mother needed help. So he says to his disciple, son, this is your mother. And mother, this is your son. Let me read it to you and I'll connect why I think this happened in the first hour. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then this sentence is connected. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. Here's my point. Every mother in this room will get it. She's had to watch him go through this. He's now nailed to the cross. He recognizes she can't take this anymore. And by the way, this isn't the worst part of the cross. The worst part is about to happen. So Jesus says to his mother, this is now your son. To his disciple, this is now your mother. And you need to take her home because she can't watch what's about to happen. So I believe it says from that hour, I believe this all took place. The first three were in the first hour. 
And then what happens? It now is, is getting close to 11 o'clock, maybe 11.30, somewhere in there. I don't know exact, but there is a huge, uh, whether it's a, a solar eclipse, I don't know how God did it, but it, literally there's an earthquake and there's great darkness. And here's what I believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read this to you, man. This is, this is really, really powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is verse um, 21. For God made Christ, listen to this, who never sinned to become literally sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I don't, this is the mystery that I don't understand. Somehow this innocent man who never sinned and the only one who never sinned, God literally turned him into our sin and he began to suffer. The heavy lifting of the cross was done once it was dark. And God began to literally put the sins of all mankind, not only up to that point, but from that point forward, all sin, every lie, every murder, every time a person's been betrayed, every act of racism, all of it has been put upon our Jesus. Every bit of it. He literally was turned into sin. And why? Because someone had to pay for sin and you and I couldn't do it. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believed in him doesn't have to perish, but can have everlasting life. He became sin so that we could become righteousness. That's the good news and the message of the cross. And if you think to yourself, could it really have happened? You better hope that it happened because there's no other way for salvation unless someone's made the way possible for you and I. It is true and it is real and it is right. And I believe that the heavy lifting of the cross takes place during this time that Jesus begins to feel the weight of all sin and the outpouring of God's wrath. God took his wrath out on Jesus. Do you know it says in the Bible that it pleased the father to punish the son. Now, I don't think that the father got some kind of joy out of punishing Jesus. I believe it means this, that God delighted in being able to take care of sin so that he didn't have to do it with you. So that when you stand before God, you know what he sees? You're the righteousness of God in Christ. He doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, man. And that's good news. And it changes everything. Everything. <laughs> so at that point then, that the heavy lifting of the cross is done. And that is about a three and a half to four hour time period. And then the next four sayings come within an hour, a half an hour to an hour in rapid succession. And they come at the end of this horrible time when Jesus has been made uh, sin for us. So the very next thing that Jesus says out loud, uh, Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is this? Jesus has never known one moment, not just a day. He's never known a moment without the connection of the Father. Every day of his life, every moment of his life, every second of his life, when he's awake, when he's asleep, when he's working, when he's playing, when he's with his friends, when he's by himself, Jesus has always known the connection to the Father. And suddenly... This is the righteousness of God dealing with sin. Suddenly the righteousness of God, because Jesus has been made sin, God has to turn his face from his one and only son. And Jesus is so keenly aware of being connected to the father that he feels the break and he cries out to God, not in rejection, but still saying, you're my God, you're my God. Why have you turned your face from me? He was forsaken so that you never had to feel one day forsaken. Alex, you never have to feel one day 
that you're broken from the relationship with the Father. Anyone in this room who the enemy has lied to and told you that God is not on your side, that God doesn't love you, and that God is not for you, you are listening to a lie. Jesus was forsaken so that you could be the accepted. Jesus was rejected so that you can be connected. He's the one who did it. And you take away from the work of the cross when you say that God is not for me. The ultimate proof is that God loves you and paid the highest price in order to make sure you're connected to him. And you go, John, you seem so sure about that. More than anything else in life, I'm sure about this right here. More sure than my wife's love. More sure than my kids love me. More sure than I have the greatest grandchildren in all of the universe. More sure than that. That this story is true and it's real. And that God loves you, man. He knows you. Jesus on the cross. I, I heard somebody say that it was our picture in front of him. I, billions of, I don't know. I do know this, that he did it knowing what he was doing, knowing that it was for us, knowing that <laughs> it was the only way that it could take place. The very next thing that Jesus said, and I think it's just in, like this is, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. By the way, Christ on the cross and what he did and what he fulfilled there are more than 100 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. And if someone ever says to you, how do you know the Bible's real? Like there are multiple reasons I can point and tell you of why the Bible's real. Some are archeological, some are just, they're factual. But one of the things that I can tell you is this, that when things prophesied a thousand years before Jesus ever walked this earth and every one of them was fulfilled perfectly, that is some level of proof, yes or no? That is some level of proof. So the very next thing that Jesus does after my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says out loud, I thirst. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. That sentence is important. So Jesus realizes he's paid the price at this point. God is, he's poured out his wrath. Sin has been taken care of. So Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished at that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So in order to fulfill prophecy, Jesus said, I thirst. By the way, that is from, I believe that's Psalms 29, 28 or 29, where King David wrote many of the prophecies about what Jesus would do. And David wrote down that I thirst and they give me vinegar to drink. It was amazing how accurate that is. The next one, in rapid succession, Jesus then cries out loud because... He knew that all things were now taken care of. He cries out loud. This is John 19.30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, that vinegar, he said, it is finished. Tetelestai. And Katie, she taught on, if you didn't hear Katie's message last week, you missed a great message. In fact, it was so good, I have nothing else to say about it. So let's move into seven. The very last thing that Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. What I love about that is that Jesus is not a victim Jesus is in total control. And this is not a man who's lost himself and who's given up to the pain of what he's going through. He knew exactly where he was, exactly what he's doing, and exactly what's been taken care of. And so he says out loud, it is finished into your hands. I commit my spirit. Christ is not out of control. He's totally in control of where his spirit is going. Now look at me. Everyone in this room gets to make the same choice about where your spirit's going. And friend, it's a choice. You don't go to heaven accidentally. It's all on purpose. Pastor Jake in a few minutes is gonna come up when he closes this. And one of the things he's going to say is that good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. Yes or no? Yes. 
It is so good. And it's so right and it's so accurate. And everybody in this room, remember this. You get to choose what happens to your spirit. And if you say, I don't want to make that choice. You're making a choice by saying that right there. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There is no neutrality when it comes to our Jesus. But John, I have a lot of questions. Awesome. I know the one who can answer them. But decisions about Jesus don't have to be made in the light of every question has to be answered. We make decisions all day long not having the answer to everything in life. Like those two thieves, we look at what Jesus did on a cross and we all make a determination about it. I hate it. I don't like it. I can't accept it. Forget it. It's your choice. Or like the one who saw it for what it was. This is an innocent man who was suffering. I'm the condemned one. This should be done to me, but it shouldn't be done to him. Even the Roman centurion, a centurion was in charge of a hundred soldiers. This guy was an expert in death. He knew how to crucify people. He taught people how to crucify people. The Roman centurion, that hardened, uh, that soldier whose heart, how many people had he killed? Hundreds? Thousands? Whatever it was, that same centurion who, who hundreds of times watched other people die and saw how they died, saw that when you pierce someone, who they really are comes out, something about the way this man died caused him to say at the very end of it, this truly was the son of God and he becomes a believer. You cannot look at the cross without making a decision. It will revile you. You'll reject it. You'll push it away and say, there's no way possible or you'll see it for what it is. He did it because he loves you. And you can ask God for his mercy and so determine the fate of your spirit. Look at me. <laughs> You're not responsible for what you don't know, but now you know. We all will give answer over this issue. So I'm not talking to people who are only invited guests and I'm not talking to people who only come around during Christmas and Easter. I'm talking to everybody in this room because you can think you know him and suddenly realize I only know about him. I don't really know him. Do you know this Jesus? Have you given your life to this Jesus? Have you called him Lord? Have you bowed your knee to him? I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to get religion. I'm trying to absolutely strip away all the pre. I'm not asking you if you like preachers. I don't want to know. I'm asking you, what will you do with this Jesus, with this crucifixion and with this resurrection? What will you do with him right now? Look, we may never see each other again and that's okay as long as I see you in heaven. What will you do with this Jesus? You get to determine what happens to your spirit. Sure as I'm standing here in front of you, Friend, I'm telling you the truth right now. I'm not holding anything back and I'm not trying to win friends, but I am trying to influence people. What will you do with this Jesus? If you want his mercy, you can ask for it today. And just like that other thief on the cross, it doesn't matter if you can do anything about your circumstances. God is willing to offer you mercy right now. It's the most incredible act of love that's ever been given. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We honor you. 
Jesus, I hope people will say, Pastor John really, really doted on Jesus today. Lord, I should do it more every time. May that be true that every time I teach about you, it's greater and it's fuller and it's higher. Father, in this very moment, all of us stand before you. All of us, Father God, drop all the pretense. It's not the way that we're dressed. It's not the life that we lead, good or bad. It's not what we do for a living, how much money we make. It's not what part of town that we're from. It's not what we're gonna do tomorrow. None of those things are lifted higher than just this simple idea of looking at our Jesus and what he's done for us and deciding I want that in my life. Folks, I play no games with you today. I, I know it's just like you're so direct. <laughs> I, I get it. In my mind, on this subject, it's the only way to be is direct. It's nothing to mess around with. And there's everything to gain. The simple question is, what will you do with this Jesus? Do you want his grace? Do you want his mercy? Do you need his love? I'm not asking you if you want to join church. I'm not asking you if you need to get religion, reform, be better. That's completely beside the point. Do you need God's love? Do you need his mercy? Do you want this Jesus that the Father offers? If while I'm talking right now, regardless of whether you're a regular attender or this is the first time you've ever been here, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, right now, if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and you need God's mercy and you need his love and you see it and you want it and you say, Pastor, remember me when you pray today. Slip your hand up right now. Just say, John, that's me. Yep, 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 yep. There's many of us. Yep, I, there's many of us. I'm just looking real quick as I go. You can put them back down. It's just, there's many, many people. Here's what I want to do today. It's a little bit different than how I normally approach this part of our service. I'm going to pray, lead you in a prayer, and I want you to repeat after me, but I want everyone in the room to repeat this prayer with me. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I need mercy. Forgive me of my sins. Hold me. God, I see my need for you. And I say yes. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Look real quick. You might think, it's such a simple prayer. There's no better way to approach God than with simplicity of heart. No pretense, no deal, no God, I'll be better. Just simply, God, have mercy on me and help me. That's how God wants us to come to him. The full work of the cross is Jesus' alone, not what you can do to make yourself better. Let the Lord work that in you.